Side Hustle Show 68, how I got my first sale in six different businesses. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. Hey everybody, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. This is episode 68, a special Friday edition of the show for you. This is how I got my first sale in six different businesses. And we haven't talked a lot about sales, um, you know, on the show. And it's, you know, it's one of the most important things. I've argued that creativity is is more important than sales because you got to have something to sell before you can sell it. But next to that, I would argue that sales is probably the most important skill for any entrepreneur for the simple reason that nothing happens until somebody sells something. And I don't know the origin of that quote, but um, it's it's so true. And sales gets a bad rap, right? Like it, it's a dirty word. You picture the, uh, what do you picture? I picture, you know, the, uh, the guy in the plaid checkered suit on the used car lot. And I think my my vision of having worked in the car business, my my vision of sales was kind of soured in, by working corporate, and I, it, which is ironic because I was in a I was in what would be considered a sales role. Only only my division, my department didn't really act like a sales organization. There was there was no incentive to to push beyond objections like you would present your your product or service and the people would say no and you would say fine and that's like a hor you know you as a as someone who's gone through sales training you know that it's going to take seven no's at least to get to yes but in this case because my income wasn't affected positively or negatively by that no there was no there was no reason to push on there was no incentive to do it. So why, as a young employee, why jeopardize my relationships by being the pushy sales guy if you're not going to be any better off? It was, you know, it's a weird setup. And I think I think the department has made some changes since I've left, but kind of just a weird, a weird setup that maybe has shifted my idea on sales or because before, you know, it's any and since, you know, I've kind of gotten back into it. It's such a rewarding like closing the deal, right? You know, getting, you know, the the signature on the dotted line, you know, press hard, it's going to be four copies. Like that's really rewarding. It's an exchange of value. It's validation. It's it's like an addicting thing. You know, somebody decided whatever you had to offer was worth handing over their hard-earned cash. So in today's episode, I'm walking through uh, my first sale in six different businesses, and of course, this is not um, this is not all of the first sales, but these are the ones that really kind of uh, stuck out to me, um, and, and maybe they were formative experiences. And there's some common themes in those, so pay attention for those. Now, the first one I'm going to get into is selling candy at summer camp. I remember doing this in high school, and my mom uh, took me to Costco to uh, to pick out some inventory, to pick out some merchandise, right? And in, I remember distinctly, I picked out Skittles and Caramel Apple Pops because those were some of my favorites. I figured, hey, I'm, uh, I'm in my target market. I know what the people like. Let's go, uh, let's go for this stuff. Now, in this particular case, it was a couple miles uh, to hike into the camp, which is not, you know, not too serious, but it kind of limited what you could pack in or what you would be willing to haul in. So I, you know, didn't, uh, I probably, probably could have been a little bit more aggressive on the inventory, uh, but didn't know, uh, you didn't want to be setting myself to carry all that stuff uh, in on that hike. 
So this ended up being a good little business because I knew the target market and I had a somewhat of a monopoly. Now the the trading post at the camp obviously had a much wider selection than just Kittle Skittles and caramel apple pops, but they were also a half a mile away from our group uh, our group campground and they had and they had higher prices. So my my sugar supply was was on site and the way I priced it was a uh, 100% markup from whatever the uh, you know, kind of prorated uh, bulk amount was from Costco, and then did some volume discount, like you know, two for two for a buck, I think it was for Skittles, and maybe five for a buck for for the caramel apple pops. Now, uh, originally, I was you know nervous. What happens if I, and, and I guess this is probably a bad example. Because what, what happens if I have leftover inventory at the end of the week? Well, I've got to you know pay mom back, and then I've got to eat extra Skittles. Like it's not the end of the world, but I actually ran out of supply on day two. So I definitely could have either charged more or brought more inventory. And that was, uh, you know, that was, that was one of my first, uh, entrepreneurial ventures. And I, I think a lot of people have a similar experience if it's, you know, baseball cards in the driveway or whatever it is. Now, number two is selling paint jobs door to door. And this is something that I've talked about off and on. And we've even had other former college painters on the show because it's such a, uh, you know, it's such a bonding experience. And for me, this was my first cold calling experience. I was, uh, and still am, uh, would consider myself an introvert. And so it was really, really tough. I remember the kind of a cold, <laughs> a cold, rainy, a uh, March evening in outside of Seattle, and you know the, the way this works is they assign you a territory, they assign you a zip code. The the company that you know I, I accepted this internship with this, this is what they called it, and they, so they assign you the territory. Say hey, you know, go go out and and see if you can sell some paint jobs, and they give you some training, uh, obviously before doing that. But I remember driving my truck up to this neighborhood that looked promising on the map. And, um, and just sitting in that truck for probably 10 or 15 minutes, trying to psych myself up, kind of going over my spiel in my head, like, what am I going to say when, you know, when they answer that door and trying to like, just, just get pumped up for that first job. Cause it's really, you know, it's, it's, a, nobody comes to the door anymore. Like, it's really weird. Like it's, it was, I don't know, it was, it was stressful for me and <laughs> I think it would be stressful for a lot of people, but in in this cold calling business, in this painting business, it's essentially a numbers game. In uh, you know, statistically, if if this is what they told us when you're doing house painting, you know, uh, if a paint job lasts ten years, statistically, one house in ten should be painted every summer. So you knew kind of one in ten should be in the market, even if they hadn't really considered it yet until you came to the door. There was a reasonable chance that they would be, and I can I can like still picture this neighborhood. Uh, where I was at, the first house that we that we ended up doing, you know, c- convincing this young couple to uh, to take a chance and and trust me with their biggest asset. And I guess that's a that's a pet peeve of mine. I shouldn't I shouldn't call it an asset unless your house is paying you. It's not an asset in many cases. And I and I learned this the hard way. A giant mortgage is a giant liability in a lot of ways. So uh, stop calling houses assets. I'm sorry I made the mistake just now. Uh, but I remember I so finally get the nerve to go knock on that first door. And I think, you know, it probably was, you know, you ring the doorbell and you wait and you wait and you wait and you kind of, you're secretly hoping nobody's come, nobody's home. So you kind of get that first one out of the way. And I think that was the case. And so I kind of went to the next one and they're probably said no. And, and then you go on to the third one and then you, you just realize 
that this is not the end of the world. This is not a life-threatening situation. You know, I can, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to hone my, I'm going to hone my pitch. I'm going to see what works. And it's just, I can, I can still see like, you know, around the corner is where that first person that said yes was, you end up striking up a conversation, you build some rapport. And it was on what I would do. I would run in between the houses because I figured that somebody, you know, jogging up to the front door would look a little bit more uh, enthusiastic than somebody trudging up the driveway with uh, with a clipboard. And I think that that probably worked in my favor a little bit instead of uh, instead of the other way around. Now, the the sales thing or the sales aspect of this was just or the painting aspect, I should say, was just so stressful, so rewarding, so humbling. You know, somebody asked me the other day in in an interview what I was like at 16. And the answer I gave them was like, I wish I was a fraction as smart today as I was at 16. I knew, I knew everything. And I kind of attribute this college, uh, this college painting experience as being what really dialed that back, what really humbled me out. Because for, for one of the first times, I wasn't the best. I wasn't, I, mean, I wasn't the worst either, but I wasn't the best salesman. I wasn't the best manager. I wasn't the best painter. I wasn't the best executor of this business. And that was, um, that was really like eye-opening. I needed to see that and to see that you know, other people were having more success than me and trying to figure out why and what, what they were doing differently. Now, a good friend of mine uh, Rob, I don't know if you're if you're listening. He he told me the story of his first sale. He said, "Hey, hey I got this deposit check. They signed the they signed the the contract." And he's like, "You know what they told me?" He said, "You seem like a nice guy. We're going to help you out." And I never really thought of it that way cuz I thought in a way we were out there competing with you know the the painting contractors that had been there 20 years. But the way that he'd approached it and the way that the homeowners that bought from him uh, understood it was, hey, this is a, this is a kid that's in college. He's, he's out there trying to make something happen, trying to make, uh, you know, make a living this summer, uh, getting some really great work experience, some really good blue-collar work experience. And, and they say, you know what, we'll help you out. And so the price did, was not even a part of the equation. It was all on... Uh, on personality, which I thought was a really, really powerful lesson, and and I <laughs> obviously didn't I didn't learn this very well because I had a bad habit of underbidding jobs because I was afraid of not getting enough work. What I should have done was charge more and worked less and had less stress. So if you read uh, if you read nothing else, read Influence by Robert uh, Cialdini, one of my all time favorite business books. It's so good. It's so good. So that's my uh, that's my painting story, and you know if anybody's curious about it, we can I could talk about it for days. So, uh, sale number three, or first sale number three, is my first foray into affiliate marketing, and this is in the basement of our college house, um, senior year for me and 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 the other guys. This was my you know first experiments with pay per click marketing, Google AdWords. What we what we would do. And what I, I guess I taught the, the other guys to do was find some very specific product that you could point a pay-per-click ad to. And, and in the destination URL, instead of going directly to, you know, retailername.com, make it sure it's your affiliate link. And my initial budget for this was a dollar a day. Like that's how risk averse I was. 
for for no good reason other than like stroking my ego, I went through the process of setting up an LLC, you know, for my budget of a dollar a day, and I funded this account with uh, with five hundred bucks, and that was my that was my startup capital for you know what what became uh, Shoe Sniper, what became you know this whole side hustle, you know, thing. This was this was kind of the, the first part of it. And I remember, you know, making my first sales. This is the the pay per click game or the the advertising. Game. It was a little bit of a numbers game as well. So you, you sold a sixty dollar shoe in in this case. You know, at a fifteen percent commission, you're left with like nine dollars. And so if you're buying clicks at twenty five cents a click, you've got to convert only one out of thirty six uh, to break even, which is only you know a two point seven percent conversion rate. And because you know, if, if it was just straight up e-commerce, somebody lands on your homepage, 2.7% would be pretty good. But since these were like so targeted, so specific, like that was, you know, you could convert much better than that. And so that was really cool to to come back uh, from a day at class, you know, hit, hit refresh on the report and see that somebody actually bought something. I think I got like a $9 uh, commission my first my first time. And it was like, you know, the, the light bulb moment. I love it. I love it. And then kind of the uh, the milestone there was within a few months being able to to cover the rent or or most of the rent now i should for full disclosure we were living in a house with six other guys so it was or five other guys and so rent was very very cheap i think mine was like 400 bucks or even a little bit less so but it was, it was so cool to be able to to be making that online you know at at 21 or whatever old we were 22 so some very cool stuff. Now, what that transitioned into, and this is sale, um, or this is business number four, was the uh, original shoe, shoe shopping site, the original shoe comparison site. Um, at the time, it was called Shoes Are Us. And what I want to bring up about this is in, um, in, in Great by Choice, it's a book by Jim Collins, he talks about how great companies will do, do market testing before going all in. He calls this firing bullets, then cannonballs. And so that's, without knowing it, that's what I was doing with these like little text pay-per-click ads at 25 cents a piece, like, and my, and my budget of a dollar a day. Like this was my low risk testing to, to prove this concept. And after having some success in that, that's when I decided that the next way to scale this up would be to have the comparison shopping site built because the pain of doing this all manually was whenever that price changed or whenever that wasn't the best deal anymore, whatever store I was linking to, you know, then all of a sudden the conversion didn't happen. You know, the 2.7% that I needed didn't happen. And so it was all a matter of, you know, there was a lot of upkeep required. And that's why I built the, the shoe site to say, if, you know, if I could just send people to the comparison page and then those prices will update and toggle, you know, automatically and I won't have to worry about setting the, you know, changing the ad every time. And so what I did, I put the job up for bid on guru.com, which uh, I guess was a precursor to Elance. Maybe Elance existed at that time, but I found a developer on guru.com who was actually just a half hour away from me in, uh, in Northern Virginia at the time. I went and met with him personally, which was, you know, kind of a weird intro to outsourcing, right? Because you're not supposed to like meet face to face. But we met and he kind of explained the, the, the project idea. He gave me his bid. I think once he found out that it was just me, like it wasn't some company, he was like, oh, if it's just an individual, you know, I'll give you 10% off or something, which was, which was awesome. 
and we if, you know was still working with him like nine years later so it really was a, was a good relationship back and forth on that stuff now the, the project itself took longer than like any software project right um, took longer than anticipated but when it when it was finally ready i remember setting up uh, a few ads that instead of pointing directly to the store like i had been doing for the past year or so i was going to send them uh to the website instead and what i remember driving to uh, from atlanta so this is how long it took i moved from uh, from northern virginia to atlanta during this time and and i remember driving to chattanooga because it was my only trip up there and um i had set up a couple ads i got to the hotel this was like pre pre smartphones, right? And so I saw I saw that my ads were generating clicks, but on that first day, like no sales yet. So head off to work the next day, and just can't stop thinking about like, oh, I wonder if I'm I wonder if anybody's buying any shoes and stuff. So I was really excited for it. I was really anxious to get back and what happened and see what happened. And then that was the that was the day. On day two, uh, I did see I think a couple sales came through on Commission Junction, and it was. You know, it was proof of concept for the for the site. It was so exciting to see that, like, okay, guy, I didn't just waste all this development money. Maybe this thing, maybe this thing does have some legs. Maybe this is going to work out uh, in the end. Now, one of the biggest mistakes that I made with uh, with the shoe site, and I don't know if I've talked about this before, is is if I was more forward thinking, I probably could have hired help much earlier than I did, like to help me grow and scale this thing, because I was, you know, I was still working. I had very limited time to, to go in and build out, you know, the, the ads. If we had 300 brands on the site, if we had 1500 brands on the site, that was a lot of potential shoes to advertise. But instead I was limited to what I could get done on my own time. I was worried that people, you know, if I hired a VA, I didn't even know a VA, I didn't even know what a VA was. But if I hired somebody, they were going to steal my idea. They weren't going to do it right. They were going to waste my money because it was all tied to my, you know, business credit card on the account. So it was really kind of risk averse in in that standpoint. And I think that ended up holding me back or kind of drawing out the timeline a little bit more than um, than I probably needed to. Anyways, still lots of love for shoes, lots of love for affiliate marketing, and lots of love for the first sales up there in Chattanooga. That was fun. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. 
but hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you, whether it's a spare room or even your entire home. There's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Uh, business number five is uh, Kindle Publishing. I remember my this is my like first product, quote, product I created was this Kindle book that I wrote uh, a couple years ago. And I originally wrote it as an authority builder, right? Like if you're... If you've written the book on topic XYZ, it stands to reason that naturally you are an authority on topic XYZ. If you could fill up a book with your with your knowledge on that topic. And the I guess I, I obviously I'm happy to make sales of of this book that's still it's still up for sale. But what I I really didn't intend for it to be a moneymaker, right? Like it was going to just be this this authority product. And the funny thing is that no, almost no one came through, you know, the site that it was from. Almost everyone found it through Amazon's own ecosystem, which is a testament, I think, to having something for sale on existing marketplaces. If Amazon is the world's largest store, I think you owe it to yourself to, um, to have a book up there. If you haven't written your book yet, I encourage you to do it. It opens up so many doors. It's, uh, you know, it's such a cool thing to, to see something with your name on it up there for sale. Now, what I did, I, you know, launched it on Kindle Select, you know, free promo, gave away a couple thousand copies and it all went well. And then after that, you know, a few people like bought the paid version. And I like, I was a total rookie on, you know, Amazon strategy and, and Kindle publishing at the time, but it still managed to fell, sell a few copies after the launch. And that was really, really cool. Like I got my first, I remember getting my first royalty check and I think it was like $72 or something. But those were my, those were my first dollars. I think I tweeted it. Like I just got my first, my first money is my first check as a professional author. And it's like, you know, somebody, somebody paid me for something I put out into the universe. It was really, really cool. So I definitely plan to do more with Kindle in the future. And, and lately, you know, I've tried to figure out more of the marketing tactics and stuff. So again, if you haven't written your book, I encourage you to do so. And, and even today, like now, two years later, this book still sells a couple copies a day, which isn't a huge side hustle, but it's part of the whole portfolio strategy it adds up to, you know, hundred bucks a month or a little bit more, um, you know, all passive. So I'm all for it. Now, business number, uh, number six, we're up to number six. Business number six is the mastermind hosting from Side Hustle Nation. So I've mentioned that I've been kind of turned off on the, you know, this whole like sales thing. I'm going to cram some sales down your throat. But one thing I do have a track record of is putting my guests advice into action on the podcast. For uh, for instance, I'll give you the uh, you know the Fiverr guy. You know, last um, last spring, one of the first episodes in episode five, he was telling me about his Fiverr strategy, how he earned enough money on Fiverr to buy a house within a year. And I was like, this is impossible. Like, how do you do that, making four dollars at a time? And 
And obviously, I have not earned that uh, amount of Fiverr money. Maybe that'll be the topic for for another show, my, my year of Fiverr. But what... Um, but what it did convince me to do was to test it out to see what would happen, you know, if I could generate a side hustle income on Fiverr as well. And so I've done that, and it's been it's been a ton of fun. It's been awesome. Another example would be Nick Reese convincing me to do the cold shower thing, which I've been at for uh, five months now. It's been. Um, it's a weird productivity hack. If you want to try it, go for it. If you think I'm crazy, I, I probably am a little bit, but. For whatever reason, it, uh, it it works for me, so I'll take it. And, and so earlier this year, Alex Barker came on the show, and he convinced me to start a paid mastermind program. And so, kind of the path to the path to the first sale on this thing was first for me to create a free group of beta testers, basically, so I could learn what I was doing. I you know I never hosted a Google Hangout before, didn't really know the structure of the meetings, how these would go just, you know, I was, I was a rookie, but the, the beta group was awesome. If anybody is listening, Bob, um, <laughs> Bob, Josh, you guys, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Now, uh, Dave too, I'm sorry for forgetting you, Dave. <laughs> and after getting that experience under my belt and seeing the value in it, that's what kind of gave me the, the courage to put it out for sale to to the rest of the world. So I put it out there on the podcast and to the the email list, which was at the time maybe around 600, 700 people on it. And it was really, I was really nervous to do that because it's like, you know, who am I to to offer this service? What happens if no one is interested? What happens, you know, if I have to come back the following week and lower the price or say, sorry, I didn't, I didn't get any enough signups, like if, if only two people said yes, you know, it's kind of like a, a Groupon thing where it's like, it's got a tip, like, the, like there's got to be a critical mass, a crowd of people willing to, willing to jump in. Otherwise there's no group and the, and the value really is in kind of the, the back and forth feedback and the accountability and stuff. So it's, I don't know, for me at least it was scary to put myself out there like that. But the thing is, you never know until you do. And this story this story does have a happy ending. You know, six people ended up signing up for that mastermind to to hang out with me on a weekly basis. And it's just been so rewarding to hear, you know, their progress and their struggles and the wins and challenges that come on each week. And what, just, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, one member you know, gave the gave the quote during the call. My my affiliate sales have doubled since joining this this group, and I was like, "Oh man, we should record this. I'm going to use that as a testimonial." But the thing is, like, of course, nobody in the group is going to do the work for you. But what we can provide is the you know the guidance and the feedback and the accountability. And really, it's like you know, it's the encouragement when you're up. It's the congr- or it's the um, encouragement when you're down, and the congratulations when you're up. And it's been something that I've found a ton of value in, and I, and I think the people in the, in the group so far have as well. So if it's something that you're interested in, we can set up a quick chat, see if it might be a good fit. It's, uh, if you visit SideHustleNation.com slash join, you'll find some more info there, and you'll be able to fill out an application. It's SideHustleNation.com slash join. And that's how I got my first sale in six different businesses. Now, of course, there, like I said, there's a few others that didn't make the cut, but these are the ones that uh, that I'm a fan of or that had some sort of, you know, forward, uh, forward thinking parallel. And for the three, 
the three common themes that I want to kind of flesh out of these, you know, number one would be to start with something small. You know, make something low risk. Um, you, you don't have to bet the farm. You don't have to make a bet you can't afford to lose, right? Like I started, you know, I probably bought $14 worth of candy from my mom. And, and you know, that was like my one of my first like entrepreneurial ventures. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going out and raising venture capital and all, taking on all this debt. And even even later, you know, I funded that account with $500. It wasn't anything, you know, un- unobtainably large. Um, the second, uh, The second theme, I would say, is I probably should have charged more for a couple of these different things, especially the painting business and, and even the candy business. Like, you know, if I, if I knew I was going to run out of inventory on day two, you know, I probably could have stretched that out, made a little bit more margin. And, you know, especially with the painting thing, just, you know, under, underbidding jobs and having to work like crazy to, uh, to get it done and, and still try and eke out a profit on it. But, you know, lessons learned, lessons learned. And the third thing, the third theme would just be to ask for the sale. Like in your in your business, in your side hustle, are you asking for the sale? Like if you're not, don't be surprised if people don't buy. Like this was a, <laughs> I definitely have, have had this issue because it can be kind of awkward. It kind of is kind of, um, you're, again, you're putting yourself out there. It's stressful to say, so what do you think? Like, you know, sign here, press R, it's four copies. Um, the, the, the workaround for this is, is if you believe in what you're selling, and it's not really even selling. It's it's more evangelizing, right? It's it's making someone an offer you know is going to help them. And when I was working corporate, I just wasn't able to make those offers with that level of confidence. You know, one for the incentives, and two because I didn't necessarily believe in what we were selling, and that that was definitely a challenge for me. So. Now you, you actually heard me ask for the sale just a moment ago. So it would be—I mean, it would be hypocritical if I didn't, right? Like in this whole podcast about sales. Um, but that's th- those are the three things. So start with something small. Um, you think think twice before you know going for a low price or settling for a low price. And then third, ask for the sale. So thank you so much for listening. If there's anything I can do to help you with your side hustle, please don't hesitate to ask. And if you're ready for a mastermind accountability group to take your hustle to the next level, you've got to visit sidehustlenation.com slash join. See what I did just now? I like it. (laughs) That's all I got. Um, Until next time, go out there, make something happen, and I'll catch you next week in episode 69. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 